Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Oh, yes. No time to waste anymore. Seku Smith, the Hangtime Podcast, my main man, Lang Whitaker. Yo. The NBA season is around the corner. Um, but before we get there, Lang, a little bit of a summer ritual for basketball watchers around the world. The offseason slowed down. We're not stuck solely on who goes where, you know, mellow watch, all that stuff. The Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, Springfield, Mass., becomes ground zero for all things hoops this weekend. 2017 Hall of Fame class enshrined on Friday. 11 new members headlined by our guy Tracy McGrady, Mm -hmm. Rebecca Lobo, Jerry Krause, Unfortunately, you know, comes after he was able to be a part of the the ceremony. Bill Self, Nick Gallus, Manny Jackson. These are all names you, you recognize if you're basketball watchers. Yeah. George McGinnis, a guy who a lot of people would tell you was LeBron James before LeBron was born. You know, a guy who was a physical marvel, who, who played in a way that you hadn't seen. Um, Zach Clayton, Robert Hughes, Muffet McGraw. One of the uh, name Hall of Fame, as well as the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, and Tom Jernstedt. But Tracy McGrady, like I said, the the big name of uh, going you know going into the Hall of Fame this year, seven time All Star, seven time All NBA player, two time scoring champ, career averages of nearly twenty points, nineteen point six points, five point six rebounds, and four point four assists. And I would argue the last truly off the radar guy I can remember yeah. in terms of. We we hadn't heard his name prior to the summer before his senior year of high school. I got a uh, I got a package this week from Adidas mm-hmm. commemorating because you know the T Mac, the T Max, yes. and uh, were a big shoe back in the early two thousands, and mm-hmm. he was one of their. He's always been one of their signature guys. Um, they put out a little pack this week to kind of commemorate the Hall of Fame thing, and in there is an ABCD a, Camp jersey. Yeah, and. It's a reminder. He he wore number one seventy five because he was the last player invited to that camp. Right. And so I got a number one seventy five ABCD camp jersey <laughs> in the mail this week. To it's you know as you said he he was barely on the radar and uh, sort of an astronomical I guess senior year or, or whatever it was because he yeah he just sudden, played that he, one year um, he was on he was huge all of a sudden yeah he I mean went crazy of course and did not attend college straight to the league back when you could still do that, and turned in a Hall of Fame career based really on, on just his ten, you know, his time in the league, his time in the NBA, which we can talk about this a little bit more later, but that's, it's not as easy to do as people think. Yeah, It means you have to have an unbelievable, jaw-dropping NBA career for that to be the only criteria used to put you in the, in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. So, but I got a chance to go to Houston recently and sit down with Tracy McGrady and talk with him about his journey from Auburndale, Florida, town that I don't, you know, according to him, and you and you hear him talk about it, you literally would have to stumble through it to find it because it's so out of the way. But to go from there to the Hall of Fame, and, and it was a great 
great time spent just listening to him talk about that. So um, here's, and we can say this now officially, here's Hall of Famer Tracy McGrady on his path, his journey to the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. Tracy Lamar Grady, Hall of Famer. What are those last three words? <laughs> just hearing them over and over again, knowing that that's a part of your legacy and part of what, you know, your generations for years to come will be able to say about you and go see at Springfield. Yeah, well, you know, starting off in this game, um, your elite, your ultimate goal is to win a championship. You're not thinking about, you know, playing just to get into the Hall of Fame. That's that's not, you know, who I am and, and what I stand for. I, I wanted to be a champion when I first came in this game. Who doesn't? But, you know, as your years go, and, uh, you know, your, your, your time is starting to wind down in this league, you have to look back and see what you accomplished, right? And, and to see, um, are you satisfied? Are you uh, content what, you know, you put out there for the years? And, and for me, there's some things I could have done differently, absolutely. But I think I gave everything I had to the game to be a champion and, and work with what I had. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, when they – Say my name, you got to say Hall of Fame now. And um, no, that's not what I played for, but that's what it is. Knowing what you know about this grind and what it takes to be great and just how much work that entails, do you look at where you are now and say, man, the work, you know, the sacrifice that went into being a player who's going to be recognized as a Hall of Famer? is just immeasurable. Like, you cannot fathom that kind of work on the front end of this process. It's hard, Sekou. You know what I mean? Like, the the grind that you have to put in to, to become great, uh, to be consistent. And um, I think it, it takes a special guy to be able to put that type of hard work in and sustain that for multiple years. Um, I was willing to do that. I prepared myself in off season like no other. I was waking up doing, you know, um, workouts five, six o'clock in the morning uh, at Disney. You know, I was even bringing some of my teammates out there, Mike Miller. Um, like I would do two and sometimes three days to get ready for that grind. Like that's the type of work I put in. And you know, I know a lot of guys put some work in. And, and this is my theory on. I think how guys reach greatness because if you take me, I I never played basketball before. Um, and you take somebody, you know, that is playing basketball every day, practicing, uh, playing games or whatever. And, you know, they, they reached a peak myself, never played the game before, but you put me out there with those guys that's been playing every day. I'm able to hold my own, right? I'm able to hold hold my own, no practice done. Cause I, I, I got that talent. So then when I work extremely hard, you know, put that work in, you know, every single day consistently, I elevate my my game to a higher level than where those guys at because they can't go any higher. That's how I think guys really reach reach that elite level and guys just pan out to, you know, being good or just above uh, being an average player. And, you know, I was just blessed with God-given talent, man, to be able to raise that into greatness. I'm going to take you back. Um, you mentioned Florida. I'm going to take you all the way back to Auburndale, Florida. Mm. I remember that summer when you burst onto the scene. 
when people hadn't heard about you. We hadn't seen your YouTube clips because YouTube didn't exist. Didn't exist. We didn't know about Tracy McGrady. And then you get to the ABCD camp and blow up. When you are going through that process and realize you're getting on that court and saying, wait a minute, I'm as good as these other guys mm -hmm. who are supposed to be the top dogs. What was that like mentally and emotionally just coming into your own at that stage and recognizing where you were headed? Well, it was an opportunity that um, I was waiting on mm -hmm. because I was one of the best players in Florida, in the state of Florida. Outside of that, nobody really knew who I was, right? So I get the call to go to this ABCD camp, and I keep hearing this name Lamar Odom circling around. Six-ten point guard. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Six-ten point guard. No, where I'm from, if you're the tallest guy on the team, they're going to make you the center, right? That's just how it was back then. Uh, but I kept hearing his name, Lamar Odom, 6'10 point guard from New York City. He's nice. I'm like, man, I got to see this dude. Lo and behold, he's the first guy that I play. So that opportunity presented itself for me to play against the best player in the country at this time, Lamar Odom. I want to see how good he is. I want to see this. So I went at him. Killed him. I, you know, I did my thing out there. Now, mind you, <laughs> I was highly impressed at his skill set right. at being that height. But I think, you know, it was just that opportunity that I've always been waiting on. Well, here it is. For me. What you going to do with it? Right? You going to seize the moment? Absolutely. Absolutely. I thrive on that. Yeah. And I went out there and I did my thing. And I left that camp the number one player. You mentioned uh, being able to go to that next level. You're clearly one of the the 1% of the one percenters, athletically, obviously, who can, I mean, you play professional baseball, for goodness sakes, going into the NBA, you know, the, the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. When do you recognize that you have that in you? At, at what stage, at what age do you, do you realize I'm not, this is not normal. This is different <laughs> than the other guys. Like me and my boys playing. <laughs> right. They're good. You know, they might be good. I might be a little bit better than good. Yeah. I, I realized that in Orlando. Did you? Okay. I did. I, I realized that in Orlando. Um, I look back on my three years when I played with Toronto. I mean, I was okay. It was, you know, it was a process. Right. But then my first year in Orlando, you know, I, I knew I was good, but I knew I, I didn't know I was 25 points per game good. I thought I'd be an all-around player, player like Scotty, you know, 18, <laughs> 8, 7. Ah, man, I put up 25 a night, yeah. and that just came from the work that I put in, uh, the confidence that was instilled in me. And from that point when I realized that, man, I'm better than what I thought, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, it just elevated to another level. Like, I, I believe that I'm better than, you know, what I perceive to be, and I'm better than a lot of these guys that I play against. You look back at that footage, even before Orlando, coming straight out of high school, going to Toronto, like a pup, like you're so young. Do you look at it now in, in retrospect and say, boy, if I just knew a little bit more of what I have now at the end of my career, had I known it then, what might have been? Because there's a whole generation of players now in the league or coming into the league who grew up on the crumbs of what you and Vince did in Toronto. 
getting them to the first playoff appearance mm-hmm. in franchise history. Mm-hmm. I love listening to kids talk about it. Reminds me of how old some of us are now. I mean, but just the impact of that and the fact that it inspired a generation and generations of Canadian basketball players. Either. Yeah, man. Um, take you back to Toronto. When I first moved up there, um, you know, obviously in, it's in Canada and it's, you know, hockey country, right? I mean, I'm in the middle of hockey country and we sitting here trying to play basketball. On top of that, you know, we're in a sky dome and, you know, that's where the Blue Jays play. It's huge, right? So if we're not playing Chicago, when Michael Jordan's not coming to town, it is like the absolute worst place to play basketball because it's so big. It's not that many fans in there. You know, they, you do something spectacular, it's like, <laughs> right? Because they, they, they really haven't figured out this game yet. Right. Man, we got Vince Carter. <laughs> things completely changed. We moved into a new arena, and I think the development of myself, bringing in somebody like Vince with the electrifying um, highlights every single night, I think the city started to catch on and, and realize that you know this is a game that you know we should really pay attention to. We got two young stars here, and um, you know we inspired a lot of kids around Toronto or just around Canada. Uh, what we did playing together for two years, man. And, uh, you know, I have some conversation with a, a lot of guys from back then and just how we inspired them. That, that's a great feeling to have, man. That's the legacy you want to leave when you can inspire a lot of people. Now you look at the NBA nowadays, we got a lot of Canadians <laughs> in our league. That's yeah. pretty damn good. Yeah. I like to think, you know, me and Vince had to do something <laughs> that y'all owe us. Probably like, you know, we'll take a percentage of your contract. Just a percentage. Just one percent. That's all we need. Excellent. Um, you clearly set the world on fire in Orlando. I mean, you're coming into your own in Toronto at the end of your time there, but Orlando is where you went to that next level. Scoring titles, you know, take them to the playoffs. Most improved player. You know, that's when the, the all-star, you know, attention starts. What was that like from a pressure perspective, being so close to where you were from mm-hmm. and just, the, I'm sure, the tug of people that have known you your whole life watching that and wanting to be caught up in that swirl of, hey, you know, the hometown kid is here and he is doing it big, mm-hmm. like doing it on a scale nobody, like you said, nobody really had envisioned. Yeah, uh, say so I, I was so young at that time to where I didn't feel any pressure. I think it was more so of, me just being so excited to be back home. I think the, the excitement overshadowed any pressure that was probably even put on me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was looking forward to, to, to being there alongside with Grant Hill. I mean, I love watching G Hill when he was in Detroit. So I'm like, man, now this is my teammate, right? And G Hill is not available to play. You know, he's, he's obviously um, out with his ankle injury and, you know, it's on me. They hand me the keys. 21-year-old. We need you, big fella. We need you to take us somewhere. <laughs> right? <laughs> we need you to take us somewhere. And my, my whole thing is, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to do what I do. Right? I'm going to go out and do what I do. And um, whatever that is, the end results, I'm going to live with that. But I'm going to work with what we have. Uh, because, unfortunately, I don't have my... He would have been our, our, our captain, our leader of our team, you know, because he's been there. He's, I mean, obviously a perennial all-star. But I think where the pressure comes in is the leadership. 
that's where, you know, the pressure comes in because I'm the best player on this team and I got to lead guys that are, are older than I am, that, you know, and um, this new kid comes in. <laughs> that's where the pressure comes in. As far as basketball, being on the court, that was the easy part. But how do I lead? I don't have the capabilities of leading. Like, that's not who I am, you know, because I'm real <laughs> reserved <laughs> and, and quiet. Um, how do I do this? And that's where I, I think coaching comes into play, uh, you know, going to college and, and, and receiving that from your college coach or whoever you played with before, that leadership is trickled down to somebody like myself um, leading by example or showing me that way. I got to do this on the fly. I'm the superstar. I got to do it on the fly. I don't know how to do this. And I, I think that part right there is what I was missing in Orlando. It's how to lead. It's a great player. But it's like, how do I lead these guys? And that's why I was missing out with Grant. All right. Blockbuster, seven-player deal. You end up in Houston. And I tell people all the time, when you look at a guy's career, you can kind of chart it when the light goes off. On and off the court. For you, for some reason, it seemed like it all clicked on the court in Orlando. But when you came to Houston, for whatever reason, that's when the transformation completed itself, on and off the court, where you just seemed like a different guy, just more mature, kind of more uh, understanding of the process and how it works. What is, was it as simple as having to pack your life up and, and leave Florida again and come in here that changed that for you, or was it a, a longer process? It was a longer process. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, I struggled a little bit, you know, my first year there because I'm coming off leading the league two consecutive years. <laughs> the minute I get to Houston, Jeff ain't going to say, you're not going to lead the league in scoring, <laughs> I can tell you that, but we're going to be good. And I couldn't make that adjustment when I first got here. I'm playing with the big guy that I never played with before. Um, so it's some sacrifices that I had to make, you know, that I never made before. We struggled a little bit the first year because we didn't have the right piece. I mean, when you make a seven-player trade like that, you know, you're going to take a you know, bulk of the, the talent from that team and, and trade them. Uh, so we were struggling trying to find pieces to put around myself and Yao, right? And, um, you know, well, yeah, we made the playoffs the first year against Dallas, went up 2-0, you know, and come back home, lose two games, go to Dallas, lose that game, come back to Houston, game six we win, and then we get blown out in game seven. Um, very disappointing. Didn't have our, our, one of our next best players, Juwan Howard, in, in that series that, you know, he was, he was awesome for our team with the great leadership. Uh, but, yeah, I matured as a player, um, and I think Jeff had a lot to do with that because of the guys that he coached, the Charles Oakleys, the Pat Ewans, right, John Starks, like Spreewood. He coached those guys, and I, I, I think he knew how to deal with a superstar and, uh, by coaching Pat Ewan. And, he, I mean, he helped me out so much, man. <laughs> I can remember. <laughs> Two years, this man gave me the wheels on the bus go round and round. He gave me <laughs> that book twice, and I could never really understand why the hell are you giving me this book, right? Yeah. And then I finally realized, you know, he was like, go home and read this to your kids. And I realized, like, this is the way, this is how you lead. This is how you lead a, a group. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I matured a lot, man, when I was in Houston as a player, as a, uh, as a person, and uh, Jeff had a lot to do with that. Obviously, we didn't have the success that we wanted, 
and that was disappointing. But, you know, we had some good times. Your humanitarian work took off here, too. I mean, Darfur has been so important to you, I know, in, in your life and in your career. But what was the what was the spark for you to take that on? That defining when, moment? Yeah, moment? what was it that, that hit you and said, this is time for me to do this now, I'm ready for Yeah, that. so, you know, I was Dikembe's uh, teammate for five years. And I used to always ask deep questions, man, because he was building a, a hospital in his right. country. Like, you know, what's going on? How is it in your country? You know, tell me something about, you know, some of the things, some of the, about the people, the conditions. Like, tell me about that. I, I, I want to know. Because you can you can see it on TV, you can read about it. Like, I want to hear it from somebody that's actually lived it and been there. And we used to talk all the time about that. And he was like, you know what? He just finds he said you need to go and see for yourself. So I was like, all right. So once I picked the summer, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna take a, a crew with me. And uh, we went over there, and it, it completely changed the way I you know the way I think. Um, you know, just our natural means of, of living every day, man, and the, the, they don't have that. And, you know, the first day I got there, I was talking to some of the refugees and seeing the conditions that they live in and what happened to them. Um, it, it just broke my heart, mm-hmm. and I had to come back. I felt compelled to come back, tell their story, and I felt compelled to do something about that. So I built 12 sister schools over there right. because their main thing, they, they want to be educated. We want education. How can we do this? I was like... I got to do something. Yeah. I mean, uh, that to me, again, was, uh, to that point about you coming into your own in this city, in Houston, um, is interesting. You, you know, you authored countless jaw-dropping memories on the court. Um, everybody loves to go back and talk about the 13 and 33 and all this. You know, I mean, there's so many. It's hard to sort through all those. Um, but when you sit back now, your father, husband, the game is... In a, in a perspective, I guess, where you can look back at it and kind of think what sticks out to you. What makes you smile when you sit back and daydream about your career? Like, what, what are those moments that make you go, wow, I can't believe I did that? Honestly, man, I, I look where I come from, Arvindale, Florida. You know, I look how I grew up. I look at, um, you know, where my friends are and the opportunities that we have in our city are very short, mm. right? Very short. So... I look at it that, you know, I, I came up out of these conditions and made a name for myself nationwide, worldwide. Yeah. And uh, I played against the best of the best. And I was one of, the, one of those considered as the best at a time. I look back on that and I'm like, man, that's, that's pretty cool, man. That, that, that is, you know, from Arvindale, Florida to the Hall of Fame. I got, I got a chance to play with Michael Jordan. Kobe Bryant, like, come on, man. <laughs> you knew about Arvindale, man. It's a, it's a town of 10,000 people. Right. See, that's what people, people don't know my story. They don't know where I come from. Mm-hmm. I'm in the hall now, and I, I played in the NBA for 15 years against the greatest players to play. The, come on, man. That's what I look back on, like, damn. Yeah. That was pretty cool, man. You, you're doing such a good job that you're making me nervous as an analyst now. I, <laughs> no. I, I didn't know when you were playing that you would be this good on TV. I'm like, wow, this guy's going to take some jobs now. Would you ever consider getting back into the game in a different role? Executive, 
coach, whatever. I mean, would would a, would something like that even? That's funny that you say that because I just got a call yesterday. <laughs> Man, we're, we're trying to put together this group to buy the Rockets. Or, do you want to be a part of it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So from that uh, perspective, yeah, I, I, if, if I could get in the role of being ownership, Absolutely. Yeah. I, would, I would definitely love to do that. So when, you, when you're standing on that stage in Springfield, everybody watching you, you know, and all of this playing through your head, all these moments, are you going to have a chance to really soak it in? Are you going to take a second up there on that stage just to pause maybe and go, wow, you know, here I, here I am. Like, here's the end of this one journey. Whatever the future holds, it's going to be what it's going to be. I have to. I have to because, one, you know, Isaiah's walking me up. And, you know, Isaiah's one of the greats. And um, I just reflect back the time, our time together, mm-hmm. you know, in Toronto. He drafted me, man. He, he gave that 190, you know, pound skinny kid from Arbondale <laughs> a chance to fulfill his dream. Um, and then, you know, when you look out there, you see all uh, just a sea of greatness. Yeah. I just got to take my time, just look, see who's it is. Like, man. And then, you know. Families in attendance, like it all comes together, and yeah, I'm I'm, I'm ready for it, man. I'm, I'm ready for it. It's awesome. Congratulations, Appreciate Hall of Famer, yeah. Tracy McGrady. Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. Tracy McGrady Lang, <clears throat> very interesting conversation with him, um, discussing his Hall of Fame uh, career. All of it. I mean, you can officially label yep. it that after this weekend, a Hall of Fame career. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, we got our own Hall of Famer around here. The stat. David Aldridge around. David Aldridge <laughs> around. John Schumann with the Schumann stat. No, you're in the you're in the Stat Boy Hall of Fame. So you're like the you're like the Harry. You're like the Buddha the of Stat Boys. Yeah, you're like the Buddha of Stat Boys. What's up? How you doing? I'm all right. I got I got some Tracy McGrady McGrady slash Hall of Fame uh, trivia. For Bring you. it. Bring it. Okay, so Tracy McGrady um, averaged um, in points, rebounds, plus assists per game. He averaged 29.7 over his career in 938 games. So here's my question. Who is the only player who has played at least 750, who played at least 750 career games mm-hmm. Averaged more than McGrady's 29.7 points, rebounds, and assists per game. Is Hall of Fame eligible and is not in the Hall of Fame? I know. I know. I have a guess. All right. Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant isn't Hall of Fame eligible yet. Oh, oh somebody that's Hall of Fame eligible. Mm. Hall of Fame eligible. I mean, he re- being retired, you know, at least mm. four years ago. And is not in the Hall of Fame. One player. Chris Weber. Chris Weber is correct. That's a nice. fantastic first guess. Yes, Chris Weber. Um, 30, 34.7 is his point wow. rebounds and assists per game, 831 career game. It's shameful, by the way, that he's not in the Hall of Fame. And and I'm going to tell you guys something. After my conversation with Trace McGrady, where you talked a little bit off the record, he even brought that up, made a point to tell me. He's like, man, he's like, if I'm in the Hall of Fame – there's no way Chris Webber should not be in the Hall of Fame, and I, it wasn't prompted. It, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any questions about it during our conversation. It was just something that was on his brain, and I thought that was pretty awesome that that he would bring that up because I think a lot of people 
feel the same way. That Weber is being kind of squeezed for I don't know what reason. I don't know why his career it's doesn't weird. look Hall of Fame. You know, he won. He, it's not like he didn't have playoff success. Yeah. He got to the conference finals a couple times, You know, once with mm-hmm. Sacramento, uh, once with Detroit. Not that he had a big role on that uh, Detroit team, but, um, yeah, it's weird, you know. Um, the there's Michigan an addendum Bears. to that trivia question, though. Okay. There's another player who averaged 29.9 points, rebounds, and assists in 846 games. Mm-hmm. But has not has not played in the NBA since 2009, but is not yet Hall of Fame eligible because he's still playing. Stefan Marbury. Correct. <laughs> we are killing it today. <laughs> Ste- I didn't realize Marbury, the one Marbury thing though is like the only playoff series he won was in Boston in 2009 yeah. as like a 12 minute per game. Uh, yeah. reserve like but you know what a, a serious lack of postseason success with him but this is the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame and it encompasses your entire basketball body of work do you think Steph gets in <laughs> I don't know because of question. he's killed he's it in a, China he's such a unique you know he's got such a unique resume yeah yeah they might name the Hall of Fame after him in he's China got statues the way he's in been China. going over there yeah um, <laughs> how do you not I don't know, how do you man? not consider I mean, him Clearly, if I have a vote, he's going in, but I don't know if I, uh, if I have any say in that. Well, if you had a vote, Ricky Rubio would be in already. I mean, that's yeah. Facts. That's, oh, that's interesting stuff, though, Shu. I, you know, the Hall of Fame is strange, guys. We talk about it, you know, periodically here. I, I, I cannot hammer home enough to people that it's not just what you did as an NBA player. And, and right. I don't know why that seems to confuse people all the time like what do you mean and i'm like it's not the nba hall of fame it's it's your entire basketball body of work do you think that had a did that you were there with dominique when he went in did that did that like his uh he won a euroleague championship with pan at the nikos i don't think it i I think dominique got in basically on his nba stuff right you know but we're talking i mean you're still talking about like you know, even a college career at max, like even if you're talking a four-year college player who, who had a ton of success, what are we talking about? We're talking about less than 150 games of basketball. You know, that's less than two seasons of NBA. So, yeah, like a college championship, great, or an Olympics. You win an Olympic gold medal, you played eight games. You know, like right. I understand, like there, that's definitely uh, a consideration because it's just a different um, – a different thing and and it has its own you know challenges but you're still talking you know when you're talking nba players you're talking about the nba takes is 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 you know 90 percent of the basketball they played you know in a in a senior competitive level you know what i mean right but it's also we put coaches in at different levels much quicker than we put than than players get in and i listen you can only play four seasons theoretically of college basketball. Right. I mean you I don't I don't think you should penalize a guy if he's the greatest college player we've ever seen but doesn't have a great NBA career like you penalize him because he killed it in college and for whatever reason. So you'd put Christian Leitner in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. He'd be in already. Hmm. Cuz it's not like he went to the NBA <laughs> I mean, and he, stunk he, it he's up. Basically the litmus test for that for that discussion, right? Like yes. one of the greatest college basketball right. players of all time. Yes. And you know Actually, 
you know, had a decently long career. Had a decent in the NBA, long NBA never, career, not great. Yeah. But I'm a t- let me put it to you this way: if if we put some of the coaches who are in who have won maybe one championship, but have just caked it and been somewhere for a long time, some of these international players who are in based on whatever they did in the international league they played in, for I don't care however long it was, why why would that rise to a level of accomplishment over? A guy who's been, and I'm saying, I'm not saying every guy who plays four years of college basketball is considered. We're talking about a guy who had an exemplary career, like one of the best college careers ever. Yeah, I think it. I think it's it. It warrants some in, inclusion in terms of what you use to determine whether or not a guy goes in. What about a guy like Danny Manning, who was a really good college player, won a championship, was a good NBA player for a long time. And now as a coach, and, you know, maybe his coaching career somehow burnishes his playing career. Does that happen or no? Depends on what kind of success he would have as a coach, huh? Yeah, he hasn't had much. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he's he's still new at it, but, I mean, he looks like he could do it for a long time. I mean, what about the guys who get in as, like, you know, I always think of Joe Dumars, Jerry West, like guys who have been great players, champions, and then go on to and you know as executives like right all of well, is, their is, entire Lenny, body Lenny of work Wilkins gets is in both as a player and a coach right yes yeah but you know your your entire body of work can get you in for sure you know if you become a great coach and you weren't necessarily a great player i think that's fair i mean pat riley wouldn't have been in the hall of fame as a player right on his playing career but certainly as a coach and a front office guy he makes a case, you know, what, four decades, however long it's been, even longer. Yeah. You know, 50 years basically of a 50-year basketball body of work. But that's what I'm saying. I don't know that that should trump a guy who was maybe one of the greatest players on the planet for seven years of his life, of his basketball playing life. You know what I mean? I think if you're the best player on the planet for seven years, you get in. No, I said one of the – you know, I'm just saying one of the guys who's – you know, if you're – if you're an All-American in college and you say you play yeah. four or five really exemplary years in the pros and then you get hurt, how do you right. – it's the Terrell Davis syndrome, basically. Right. Like, how do you justify keeping a guy like that out, basically because his career, you know, was a supernova and then it flamed out? I, I don't know. I, I think it's a great argument. I, and I like to have it this time of year around Hall of Fame time. Trace McGrady's a great example. A guy who was an you know another worldly talent who didn't necessarily achieve what he might have wanted to as a player in terms mm-hmm. of championships or you know deep playoff runs year after year, but he certainly put together a body of work seven time all star seven time all n b a guy you know who league you know scoring champ twice in his career he's the headliner of his class he's the yeah. He's the star of stars in this class. Even though would, some- you guess, would you guess that Christian Leitner averaged 17.2 points and 8.2 rebounds over his first five seasons in the NBA? Probably not. I know he was an all-star one year. Yeah. But I mean, you're right. Like I probably wouldn't I mean, have guessed. We don't think about him as an NBA player barely at all. But, uh-huh. like, he was a solid player. for. First, I mean, he wasn't on any good team. but I saw him in the player. airport, by the way. Um, I was I was flying out. Last Thursday, here in Atlanta, and he was flying in with his like some little kids that looked like they were here for some kind of basketball tournament. They were all suited up, 
And it was funny. He's walked through the airport. Absolutely nobody even, like, gave him a second glance. But I was just sitting there thinking, I said, man, Christian Leitner, you know, like. I spoke to him <laughs> a couple years ago when I did that Dream Team story for GQ. And he, one of the things he said was he, uh, he, he was apparently pretty good at ping pong. And he had played it, like, his whole life. And there was a ping pong table at the hotel in Barcelona. And Leitner kind of, um, I guess, won and then just stayed up forever. And all these people, like Michael Jordan was trying to beat him and couldn't beat him. And, 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 and that was the one thing he was able to hold his own against those guys is at the ping pong table. Did you, uh, did you ask him about snakey poo? No. Yeah. He would have cracked you up. <laughs> I don't want to know about that. <laughs> Ken Norman, baby. Uh, yep. Hall of Fame uh, enshrinement ceremony going on this weekend. In Springfield, Mass, it's a great it's a great time. It's like one of those things you got to go to at least once just to kind of see it and soak it up. Preferably, you go when it has one of those monster classes. Um, right. In a few years, I think we should all meet up and go when uh, what Tim Duncan, uh, KG is KG eligible. Kobe yep. that, that year, that's the year to go. Let's go maybe ahead and make reservations. Too, maybe that year. Yes, let's make some res. Let's make some reservations right now. Um, but keep it on NBA TV. On Friday for all the Hall of Fame action, Red Carpet Show at 6.30 Eastern, the Enshrinement Ceremony at 7.30 Eastern on NBA TV. Um, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts to Hang Time and be sure to leave a re- glowing review. Talk about Lang and his beautiful speaking voice and how much you love John Schumann Please and do. his big brain. Um, and come back every week this offseason right here on the Hang Time Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes for a new episode every single Thursday this season. And as always, people, remember, say kuna matata.